Hello, and welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. This month, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, we do so here in Psalm 107 as we take a look at seven reasons to be thankful. Join us. ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We greet you in Christ and welcome you to our broadcast today. Well, this month as we celebrate Thanksgiving, we want to take a look at a variety of passages, giving us seven reasons to be thankful. And that's what we're focusing on here in Psalm 107. That's where we would invite you to join us as we begin our time together today. We have several other passages we'll look at, so keep your thumb moist and ready to turn a page or two. But for now, if you've located Psalm 107, let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This morning, I just want to share some words, seven reasons, basically, to be thankful And if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Psalm 103. We'll be looking at that in a moment. Psalm 103. But it's interesting that this time of year, this coming week, we celebrate Thanksgiving. The eve before Thanksgiving is when Abraham Lincoln, for the last time, proclaimed the National Day of Thanksgiving. It was April 11th, 1865, two days after the Civil War ended with Robert E. Lee's surrender four days before the president was assassinated. And so our national day of Thanksgiving is a good time to remember the president who really had more to do with the institution of Thanksgiving and the actual practice of thanking God than any other uh, president. And I just want to read for you this morning, before our message, the proclamation that Abraham Lincoln wrote. And this was his last proclamation before his death. It says, By the President of the United States, the year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggressions, peace has been preserved with all nations. Order has been maintained. The laws have been respected and obeyed and harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union, needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements, And the mines, as well as iron and coal, as of these precious metals, have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste 
that has been made in the camp, the siege and the battlefield and the country rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel has devised nor has any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, have nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole people America. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November. Next, as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in this lamentable civil strife which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of our nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. In testimony whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, done at the city of Washington, the third day of October, in the year of our Lord, 1863, and of the independence of the United States, the 88th, by President Abraham Lincoln. It's amazing when you hear him talk about the sins of the nation and the need for repentance and those who forgot where our blessings come from. Uh, You could read that today as we did and apply it to us as a country and as a people. Well, in Psalm 103 this morning, I want to point out basically seven reasons why we should be thankful Seven reasons, and I just want to read this uh, text for us. So if you turn over to Psalm 103, we'll, I'll read through it, and you can follow along in your Bibles. It's a Psalm of David. Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, Nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Have you ever wondered what God really thinks about you? Have you ever wondered what God remembers that we forget? I think one of the greatest barriers that we have to knowing God better may be how much we know about how much God knows about us. When you stop and think about it, we struggle with God because we feel so bad about ourselves. And if we know the truth about ourselves, I mean, think about how much more God knows about us. We can't fool Him. Sometimes we don't want to read our Bible. Sometimes we don't want to pray. We don't want to think about God because, in a way, it's almost like we're looking in a mirror and we feel like looking in that mirror and go, boy, what a big disappointment you are, speaking of ourselves. We look at ourselves and say we ought to be further along spiritually in our lives by now. We ought to be better off by now. And we've all felt that way, I think, on occasion in our Christian walk. I mean, there's times in the Christian walk when you're on top of the mountain and everything's going great. And then there's times when you're down in the valley and, man, you just can't see where the two ends meet. Sometimes it's a hard month. It's a hard week or quarter or year. And we're now at the end of what seems to be a trying year in so many people's lives. One writer captures this truth in one simple sentence. He says, I think we run from God rather than to him because we know our own hearts all too well, yet we barely know his at all. We don't need to spend a lot of time here this morning convincing you that you're a sinner. (laughs) I mean, I think we all have a pretty well good idea that we're all fall short of God's glory. We're all sinner in God's eyes. The Bible said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's very clear. You probably know that truth to be true about yourself. If you've ever done anything wrong. But it's the other side of that that we need to talk about. It's the idea that we don't know God's heart very well. He knows ours, but we don't know his very well. And I think here's where Psalm 103 can come in and kind of give us a little bit of light, shed a little bit of light on um, his heart. I think no other chapter in the Bible so clearly reveals God's compassion for his people. I mean, if you're wondering what God thinks about you, let's take a journey through this psalm, and you're going to find out in the next several minutes exactly what God thinks about you. And we're going to look at seven liberating truths, seven reasons to give thanks to God for who he is. Seven truths about God's heart. The first one there we see in verse 6 and 7. It says in verse 6 and 7, the, wor- the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. 
The first point is simply this. I want you to understand this morning that God loves to help those who are in need. He loves to help the needy of this world. That word oppressed simply means those who can't help themselves. In the Old Testament especially, it spoke of those who were widows, those who were orphans or foreigners, the poor. And when you stop and you think about when you're, you're tempted to take advantage of others because we're strong and they are weak, God says, you know what? Think about this first. He takes the side of the weak. Our God takes the side of the weak. Our God keeps his eyes on the helpless. And when others hurt them, he notices. And I think that somehow he moves the balance of the scales of justice in their favor. There are days and times when it's hard to believe that, especially in light of a lot of the things going on in our own country and in foreign countries. Think of this recent storm that left so many people literally homeless out on the street in the rain, in the cold, back east. But for a believer, we should truly understand that that should be a a rock-bottom foundation for us. I mean, if all of history is a book, I don't think we've really even reached the final chapter yet. We're somewhere near the end, but we're not sure how far we have to go. But we know this much. Eventually, God is going to bring everything to light. Eventually, God will judge, and he'll do so with impartiality. In that day, there's not going to be any hiding. There's not going to be any excuse-making. In that day, you're not going to be able to bribe your way out. There's not going to be a way of escape. All those who labor for a better world and a more just society and those who just stretch out that helping hand, you have to believe this, or you're not, just, you're not going to do it. There was a... Uh, individual this morning when I got to the church out here sitting on the bench and I got down here about six o'clock and I noticed him sitting there and and I went in the fellowship hall made a cup of coffee and came out of the fellowship and I I said uh, hey you want a cup of coffee I think I kind of startled him you know a big plastic bag over him and I invited him to the service but he's not here so so I invited him in the fellowship hall and made some of the the dinner that we had from last night heated up in the microwave for him and and uh, gave him a hot cup of coffee, and we sat down, and for about two hours, just talked about, just, I just let him talk. He just wanted somebody to talk to. I just let him talk, and eventually he shared the gospel with him, and, and uh, these kind of, he just had his pack ripped off and all this stuff. And so I, you know, I had the opportunity to minister to this guy, who basically, there's, there's nothing he could have done for us or our church. And I'm going to be real honest with you this morning, after about an hour and a half, sitting there with him and hearing his story and letting him go on and on, I started thinking, can't you eat a little faster? Come on, eat a little. In my mind, I'm sitting there with this guy and I'm hearing him and I'm being nice, but I'm kind of looking at my iPhone and I'm going, okay, you know, it's, it's 7.30. I got I to gotta get some stuff done here this morning. That's why I came over here at 6 o'clock, not 8 o'clock. And now the Lord has brought this person here. You know, come on, God, you know what's on the schedule. And, and I found myself growing impatient with this guy. And... I was reminded of my message that God cares for the oppressed. And that here's a guy that's from Washington State, used to be from here, basically on the street, just had his stuff ripped off. And I thought, you know, God, I don't know how this is going to work out this morning, but I'm just going to take my time with this. And so I noticed he ate everything on the plate but the turkey. And we talked for like 15 minutes. And I thought, well, maybe he doesn't eat meat or something. So I said, are you done? Oh, no, 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 I'm going to finish it off. And I'm like, okay. You know, I'm thinking, okay, now it's close to eight, you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm pressing that, that time frame again. 
finally, you know, he finished it up and got him another cup of coffee and gave him a couple of Pepsis. And we kind of walked outside here and uh, he got his other stuff. And finally he said, well, you probably have something to, you have other stuff to do, I'm sure. I said, yeah, actually I do. You know, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, you know, I said, but you're welcome to come back at 10 o'clock. We have some food afterwards and everything. His name's John, by the way. And uh, nice guy, you know, and, and was able to share the gospel with him. And out here, standing here, probably took another 20 minutes before finally, you know, we parted our ways. So God was really putting um, this message to the test in my own heart. And, you know, it's neat to know that if you're needy, that God is on your side, that God is for the oppressed. And that's a, a, a great place to start because you have to be needy to come to Christ in the first place. You have to acknowledge that you have a need of a Savior, that you're a sinner. Um, if you don't have that, then you can't go the rest of the way. So God is a friend to those who are oppressed, to the needy. Secondly, we see here in verse 8 that he shows mercy to those who don't deserve it. Look at what it says in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, there's, there's four great things here in this verse that speak of the attributes of God. The first one is that God is compassionate. That God is compassionate. He doesn't just judge us. The Bible says that through Christ, he pardons us. He's compassionate toward us. He's merciful. It's the same kind of idea there, merciful. He's compassionate. But he's also, it says, gracious. God gives us what we don't deserve. Remember when I was young, I got in trouble for doing something, and my brother showed me great grace. He, he gave me what I didn't deserve. I, I deserved some discipline. I, I deserved a lot of discipline for what I did. But he showed me grace. And we do that with our own children, and I'm sure you do too. You know, our Lord is a compassionate God. He pardons us. He's also a gracious God because he gives us what we don't deserve. If God gave us what we all deserve, what would we get? We would get hell. Bottom line. But also, I love this, is it says the Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger. I mean, if God's angry, it's taking some time for him to get there is basically what the idea is. I mean, some people respond differently. You know, some people have a, a very quick temper. You know, you just say one little thing and boom, they're just seeing red. Other people, it kind of builds up and then boom, they see red. Other people, you know, you can do whatever you want and they don't ever see red. I don't understand those people. I, I'm not one of those people. I wish I was. But the Lord is slow to anger. I mean, aren't you thankful for that? Think if God saved you and then from then on, he was quick to anger with you. Every time you stepped out of line, whap, whoa. We'd be whapping all over the place, all of us, all the time. Would not be good. So God is compassionate. He's gracious, it says in verse 8. He's slow to anger. And, and that idea has that he's patient with us when we fall, when we mess up. I like that. It's kind of like when you're, you're, you're teaching your little kid how to ride a bicycle with no wheels. You know, you don't just put them on a two-wheel bike and say, here, have fun, you know, and shove them down the road. I mean, they, they destroy themselves. They'd never get on a bike. Again, they'd be traumatized. No, you put training wheels on, and you take time, and you let them get comfortable with that. And then, you know, when the training wheels finally come off, you, you walk alongside of them, and you make sure that they don't fall. Eventually, they're going to fall, and you know that, and they have to, to learn. But, you know, you're patient with them. 
And when they do fall, you're there to pick them up and brush them off and encourage them and get them back on the bike. That's what God does. God is not a God that's in heaven that's up there, a giant killjoy, divine killjoy, that every time, you know, you want to have fun, God's there with a big hammer going, don't you dare, I'm going to squash you. That's not the God of the Bible. God says he's given us abundantly all things to enjoy. And the fact of the matter is we all mess up. We all sin. We're, we're, we're stuck in this sinful world. We're stuck in this sinful body. And until it is, he comes back and we're glorified, we're made like him, then you know, this is part of the process we have to deal with. But the Bible gives us a way to deal with it. That's why the Bible says, hey, when you sin, it says if we confess our sins, if we go to God and say, God, I blew it, I'm sorry. It says that he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's funny when I talk to people sometimes about the Lord, don't know the Lord, and they'll say, well, I think when I get to heaven, you know, God's just going to forgive me. Why? Well, I just think, you know, I'm a good person. I try to help people out. And, you know, that wouldn't be a just God. See, if there's a sentence, there has to be, there's a penalty to it. There's a violation of the law. There's a penalty. What kind of judge would, would there be if, if, say, your neighbor came over and, and destroyed your car with a sledgehammer and you're in front of the court and your neighbor says, well, you know, I'm sorry. And the judge said, okay, case dismissed. You'd say, wait a minute. Wait, my car is destroyed. This guy destroyed my car. Isn't there any justice here? And the judge said, well, you know, he said he's sorry. Get over it. That wouldn't be just. That wouldn't be a good judge. There's consequences. And so when we fall, when we sin, there's consequences. That's why when we come to Christ and we put our faith and our trust in Christ, he has taken the consequences of our sin upon himself, the Bible says. He died on the cross. He became sin for us so that we wouldn't have to bear that penalty and the weight of that sin. And part of the the thing that's encouraging is that God is slow to anger. He lets that whole thing play out. He's patient with us, even as believers, when we fall. Does he discipline us? Yes. If we continue to violate his word, we continue to violate principles that honor his name, yes, he will discipline us, just like a father would discipline his child if his child was doing something wrong. But he does so with love, and he does so with patience. And then the fourth thing here, it says the Lord abounds in love, abounding in steadfast love. He loves more than we could ever even imagine. There's no love like God's love. I want you to understand when he saves, he saves completely. When he forgives, he forgives all of your sin. When he sets you free, the Bible says that you are free indeed forever. The King James Version there in verse 8, it translates that last phrase of verse 8 by saying that God is plenteous in mercy. (laughs) Isn't that good? Plenteous in mercy. Spurgeon took that phrase And he offers this application. He says this, All the world tastes of his sparing mercy. Those who hear the gospel partake of his inviting mercy. The saints live by his saving mercy, are preserved by his upholding mercy, are cheered by his consoling mercy, and will enter heaven through his infinite and everlasting mercy. Isn't that incredible? Six kinds of mercy in just one sentence. Only Spurgeon could come up with something like that. That's that plenteous mercy that everyone needs. And it's available to us through Christ. 
Well, it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come out and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call at the Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. 650-366-9923, or visit our website, gracefultruth.org. And now, once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. Most people are familiar with American pastor Zaid Abedini, who is being held in an Iranian prison due to his faith in Christ. We will be hosting Pastor Zaid's wife, Nagme, on Saturday, November 16th at 10 a.m. here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. She will be sharing her testimony of how her and her children are getting through this tremendous ordeal and how God continues to work in spite of her husband's persecution. Coming to Grace Bible Church, Redwood City on Saturday, November 16th at 10 a.m., Nagma Abedini to share her testimony. We'll also be offering a free continental breakfast at 9 a.m. for those interested in arriving early. Visit us on the web for more info gracebibleonline.org. Well, thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we would love to hear from you. Again, the ways you can contact us, we have a couple three. First, our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, 650-366-9923. As always, you're welcome to write to us at Graceful Truth, 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's here in Redwood City, and our zip code is 94061. Of course, everything that Pastor Steve mentioned a moment ago can be found on our website, gracefultruth.org. Again, you can get to us at gracefultruth.org. And when you stop by our website, drop us an email. Let us know you paid us a visit. Questions, comments, prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you. So take a moment and write when you stop by gracefultruth.org, or simply call us at 650 650- 366-9923. Our thanks to you for joining us today, and until next week at this same time, God bless. God bless.